0: Welcome, Bankless Nation, to the bull case for Rocket Pool. This is our semi regular bull case episodes where I grab a community, grab a, and they propose a few community members to take the lead on who can present the biggest and best and most bullish case for their respective project and token. And today on the stream, we're talking to two members of the Rocket Pool community. Uh, and RocketPool is a community that's been around for a very long time. They were one of the few projects that made it through the 2017 mania and through the 2018 to 2020 bear market. Uh, and they were one of the few projects that I paid attention to couldn't, in my naive state of 2017, couldn't really tell what the difference between a good project and bad project was. And they were the ones that rose out of the 2017 with a community of ETH staking enthusiasts uh, supporting them all the way through and through. The, the centralized team of Rocket Pool is about like five people and they've been this very like grassroots bottom up organization. And this community has just come around this protocol as something Not just something that exists in the app layer, but an app layer project that also is very close to the metal of Ethereum and very core to the true ethos of Ethereum. At least that's my interpretation of Rocket Pool. And we will get Ken and Marceau's uh, takes on their. their perspective of what Rocket Pool really is and what it means to Ethereum. Uh, Rocket Pool in this current moment is also a Bankless sponsor. However, that has no relation to whether or not we do shows. Uh, the community behind Rocket Pool is the reason why these two community members are here. And also, as an added disclaimer, Bankless actually does stake uh, right now 160 ether with Rocket Pool uh, on our on, an, on a Rocket Pool node. Uh, so those are our disclaimers. Uh, we're going to get into the show and more right after we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Lens Protocol is an open source tech stack for building decentralized social media applications. It is the new era for social media. We all have toxic relationships with our Web2 apps. We want to break up with them, but we can't. These applications own our digital lives and all the relationships that we've made. We need to break through to a new paradigm of social networking applications that we control rather than them controlling us. Lens isn't a social media app. It's a protocol to let a 1,000 Web3 social apps bloom. Lens is a permissionless and transparent social graph that is owned by the user. In crypto, we say, not your keys, not your crypto. And on Lens, we say not your keys, not your profile. With Lens, your followers go with you to whatever social media application you want to use. And instead of being trapped by an algorithm chosen by that app, Lens lets you choose the way you want to experience your social media. Lens is the last social media handle that you'll ever need to create. So in order to get started, there is a secret code word in the show notes. Enter that code word in the Google Form links and you'll be well on your way to entering the world of Web3 Social. Rocket Pool is your decentralized Ethereum staking protocol. You can stake your ETH in Rocket Pool and get our ETH in return, allowing you to stake your ETH and use it in DeFi at the same time. You can get 4% on your ETH by staking it with Rocket Pool, but you can get even more by running a node. Rocket Pool is the only staking provider that allows anyone to permissionlessly join their network of validating Ethereum nodes. Setting up your Rocket Pool node is easier than running a node solo, and you only need 16 ETH to get started. You get an extra 15% staking commission on the pooled ETH that uses your or node to stake you also get rpl token rewards on top so if you're bullish e-staking you can boost your yield by adding your node to the decentralized rocket pool network which currently has over 1,000 independent node operators it's yield farming but with ethereum nodes you can get started at rocketpool.net and you can also join the rocket pool community in their discord you can find me hanging out there sometimes in the chat so i'll see you there Arbitrum is an Ethereum Layer 2 scaling solution that is going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. Some of the coolest new NFT collections have chosen Arbitrum as their home, while DeFi protocols continue to see increased liquidity and usage. You can now bridge straight into Arbitrum for more than 10 different exchanges, including Binance, FTX, Kuobi, and Crypto.com. Once on Arbitrum, you'll enjoy fast transactions with cheap fees, allowing you to explore new frontiers of the crypto universe. New to Arbitrum, for a limited time, you can get Arbitrum NFTs designed by the famous artists Ratwell and Sugoi for joining the Arbitrum Odyssey. The Odyssey is an eight-week-long event where you complete on-chain activities and receive a free NFT as a reward. Find out more by visiting the Discord at discord.gg arbitrum. You can also bridge your assets to Arbitrum at bridge.arbitrum.io and access all of Arbitrum's apps at portal.arbitrum.one in order to experience DeFi and NFTs the way it was always meant to be, fast, cheap, secure, and friction-free. RocketPool is on the stream. Here I am joined on the left with Ken Smith, a RocketPool community member, and Marceau. I don't know if that is your real last name, but last name on Zoom is uh, ETH. Uh, it's a good last <laughs> name if that's the real one. Uh, Ken and Marceau, welcome to the stream.
1: Thanks for having us. Appreciate yeah, it. Pleasure being
2: here.
0: So you guys are two uh, RocketPool community members. Do the titles go any deeper than that? Or how would you describe your guys' relationship with RocketPool? Ken, I'll start with you.
2: Yeah, so I'm a a member of the Rocket Pool community, first and foremost. Um, I have a special title there. They call a Rocket Scientist. It's just somebody who knows a little bit about the protocol and is willing to share their time on Discord to help educate others. Um, And uh, I've been enjoying it ever since. Marcel, same question to you. Yeah, no special title, just a passionate
1: community member. And, And I think that's kind of what makes Rocket Pool kind of special is that they have this core team that's reasonably small and really they rely on this really vibrant community to kind of stand up and provide a lot of the research and marketing and and kind of just benefits to the community. So I'm just, just one of those guys. There's an army of us and I'm just one of them.
0: Yeah, and there's plenty of nuances about Rocket Pool that really make it special in my mind and you touched on one of them. The, the small constrained size of the centralized Rocket Pool team has really put a lot of emphasis on the strength of the Rocket Pool community. Uh, and so the void that has been left by the team has created this like very very strong community around them. Uh, but we, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's just start at the very big, uh, basic one hundred one speed run. The basic pitch of Rocket Pool. What is Rocket Pool? Why should we be excited about it? Who wants to take this one?
2: Sounds like I can. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me let me shoot here. Um... So, Rocket Pool is a uh, liquid staking derivative protocol that allows any user to stake their ETH by simply uh, swapping their ETH uh, for uh, a token called RETH. And that RETH uh, accrues interest um, based upon the Ethereum staking protocol. Um, individuals can uh, acquire that from a couple of different places. They could do it directly from the Rocket Pool contracts themselves or their websites. So they could also buy it on any any marketplace that is selling it, uh, many dexes on both layer one and many of the layer twos uh, sell the the rETH token. And simply holding it, uh, you you incur uh, interest on that ETH, staked interest on it. Uh, Rocket Pool is also kind of a, a two sided protocol. Not only can you come in from the liquid staking side of the house, you can come in from the the node operator side. So if you have a little bit more capital and you have a little bit of interest in running a a validator, a node at home. Uh, you can actually become a node operator and not only earn interest on your ETH that's staked, but you can also stake other people's ETH, those uh, those that are deposited for our ETH, and earn a commission on that. So you actually earn more rewards by staking with Rocket Pool than you do as a as a solo node node validator.
0: And so, what part of that story is Rocket Pool's like? what part of that story does rocket pool really own like what what is unique about rocket pool cuz there's other staking as a service providers i can stake my eth with coinbase there's also lido what about that story is really unique on the rocket pool side of things
2: yeah, I think I think there's there's probably five things but three are, are really okay. what are important, right? I mean, the first thing is that this protocol is a it's a it's an Ethereum protocol. It's built with smart contracts on the Ethereum network. And because of that, it's entirely permissionless. It's permissionless to either uh, acquire the RE the, the liquid uh, staking derivative. Um, and it's completely permissionless to run a node and become a node operator. There is no whitelisting, there's no uh, KYC or, uh, or, or requirements to dox yourself to run, run a node. Um, because of that, it's completely decentralized. You can run it in any country. RocketPool has uh, the most number of decentralized geographically node operators of any staking protocol. Um, and uh, because of both of those things, it's fully trustless. There's no requirement to have trust that uh, the team will continue to be there to run the protocol or update the code, right? The, the, the code is a series of smart contracts. Um, and so those, those three things really, I think, uh, open it up, that it's fully permissionless, decentralized and trustless. It also helps that it's, um, it's uh, fully open source, so you can verify this, both the code uh, and the contracts that are there. Um, and Rocket Pool also has been very adamant about making certain that um, it uses the core Ethereum clients, right? Both the uh, the execution layer clients and the consensus layer clients. It doesn't create its own client; it just simply uses the ones that are out there, like Geth and Besu, like uh, Nimbus, uh, Lighthouse, Prism. Um, uh, and because of that, it's got one of the most diverse. Um, uh, profiles uh, for the node operators that are running their validators. Right, we are we are highly 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 diverse, and because of that, it adds a, lo- a level of uh, surety and security to those that decide to stake their ETH by purchasing and are acquiring the RE token.
0: I really want to drill down on that two-sided marketplace part where. Uh, the one side of the marketplace is that people with ether uh, demand uh, services or abilities to stake their ether, and there's an, you know, a variety of different ways of satisfying this demand. They can stake run their own node and stake their own ether themselves, or they could stake their ether with Coinbase, uh, or they could stake their ether, ether with Lido, or they could stake their ether with Rocket Pool. Like this side of the equation is pretty well understood, I would say, by most in the crypto sphere. But it's that other side of the marketplace. The 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 you know two sides of the marketplace. That's one side. The other side of that marketplace is largely constrained or restricted on most other marketplace participants. Can you run a node for Coinbase? No, you, no, you cannot. Uh, Twenty four people can run a node for Lido. Um, can you run a node for Stakewise? Like no, you cannot. But with Rocket Pool, that's the most open part of this whole thing. And so it actually creates an actual marketplace rather than, you know, a a monopoly or a a forced forced outcome by just like Coinbase stakes with like bison trails, for example. Um, Ken or Marceau, can you really let's let double down on that point. Why is having that other side of the marketplace open for participants so important? What does that really unlock?
1: Yeah, maybe just one point on the previous thing about um, staking providers. Like they're not all created equal, obviously. I mean, not to say the obvious, but Rocket Pool is very, very different than, than Coinbase or Lido. And I, one thing I really like about the protocol is that to me, Rocket Pool is really well positioned as a public good within the, within the ecosystem. And I think there's sort of four qualities that I look for in any kind of staking provider that I really want to love. One is just being kind of exclusive to Ethereum and being aligned with their ethos. One is being purely decentralized and trustless. And we're all kind of reminded why this is important with things like OFAC going on. And the other two are being permissionless, like Ken mentioned, and also just not seeking rent. Like Rocket Pool doesn't exist to extract commission. There's no skimming of commission to fund a treasury. They're really there to kind of serve that two-sided marketplace. And I think it's just a really fair model that makes it a really compelling platform as a a, a staking service. But your question was more about, them as, as a node operator. Um, I'll let maybe Ken jump in with that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, Marceau, I think you kind of hit it on, right? Which is there are these challenges to Ethereum, right? And there's, there's always going to be some threat or some challenge to it in the years ahead, right? And right now it's been about uh, censorship, right? It's been about uh, the influence of government entities to... Um, regulate what a node operator can and cannot include in their in their transactions and the blocks that they propose, and you know certainly I'm a U.S. based staker. Uh, my uh, intent is to fully comply with my government regulations. Right? Uh, I don't I don't I don't plan to uh, to go counter towards them. No intent um, on going to jail. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Likewise, but, same. You, <laughs> but but you know so. Uh, but how does Ethereum as a whole maintain that there isn't a single government entity providing censorship, right? And so the, the way that it accomplishes that is it makes certain that its its node operators are decentralized, both in different geographic entities, both in different legal jurisdictions for what they what they have to comply with. Um, then there's also kind of the, the moral question, right? I mean, there's a lot of interest right now in MEV, especially with the merge coming and the transfer of the MEV coming from uh, the miners that are earning it right now to the potential for stakers to earn that. And there's a lot of moral and ethical considerations that you have to decide, right? Uh, there's going to be a lot of choices for stakers now about, do you want to extract MEV? And if you do, what type of MEV do you want to extract? Is there a line in it that perhaps is not ethically right to extract?
0: I'd like to take a moment and just really like highlight how Rocket Pool as an organization is different from the uh, the landscape right so like Lido is the big uh, the big like elephant in the room the big whale in the room about like it's the uh, it's the other one out there um, there's like others coming to market like Swell is another one like coming like it's taking as a service but not not here yet and then like all the other ones Coinbase you know, like Stakewise are all these centralized operators that you know we we know what a centralized operator is so we, we can kind of you know move on from that it's not it's not too much nuance there but how how is Lido as just like an organization and a community how does that how's the the flavor of the rocket pool like org holistically uh, organization and community combined? How is that different? And for people who aren't familiar with um, the trading chat in uh, the rocket pool discord or just overall how the org works. Can you guys help just like shed some light on that part of the thing on the on rocket pool?
2: Yeah, maybe um, maybe I'll go for it, Ken. You know, I was gonna say. I mean, I mean, I think one of the things you brought up before is that it's two-sided, right? That you mm-hmm. actually get both parties in in the discord and chatting about this, right? You get a you get the group of node operators that very much want to work on kind of the technical side, want to make certain that the nodes are well performing, that they're uh, they're performing their duties and validation. They're thinking farther ahead in the research channels about where do we need to be to position ourselves for mev and mev extraction how do we provide the most capital efficient way to stake the eth on the other side you've get the individuals that are the re holders right and they're coming in and what they want to value is to see re basically be a substitute for eth right that that the recommendation would be that no one should just hold pure eth you might as well hold a yield bearing asset right and and get an interest earning uh, liquid staking derivative in your wallet. And to do that, you need RETH to be integrated in as many DeFi uh, protocols as possible, right? So that way folks don't have a reason to, to swap it back other than to pay gas on the Ethereum network. And so I think by having both sides there all together in one Discord, it really adds to the value of it. You can see both both sides of the coin at the same time and uh, kind of develop and, um, uh, you know, d- design a protocol that can work for both sides of the house. All right. And uh, I, I really think that actually does define
0: what the important points are. I think uh, any successful staking as a service system has two things that they need to optimize for. They have their liquid staking token and they that liquid staking token, if it's successful, will accrue more yield faster than its competition, right? It simply goes up faster. Uh, and so that's one pillar that we'll touch on. And then the other, the other side of the marketplace uh, is the node operators. And it's kind of the same question, can your system make a node operator more profitable than other systems? And so we'll take these one at a time. Uh, What is the bull case for our ETH holders? Why should I hold our ETH over any other alternative staking as a uh, staking derivative asset? Who wants to take this one?
1: (laughs) Um, Let me take a stab at it and Kevin jump in, please. Um, I mean, first of all, I would say that, like, I think staking is going to be a really big deal in the post-merge world. I I think once we emerge from the merge event, people are gonna wanna chase yield and having a staking derivative token is a really great representation of how to capture that yield, right? So post-merge yield goes up like two X and the risk to yield, or sorry, the risk to staking goes down quite a bit just because the execution risk is removed from the equation. Um, We're currently at about, I think 12% ether staked in total it's pretty low i think i think we're heading towards 50% you know in a sort of saturated state over the course of probably 2 years and that's a 4x increase to just the size of staking participation it's pretty meaningful um i also think you know liquid staking is a really important function of this as well you could sort of argue that that liquid staking tokens are sort of a better version of just vanilla Ether, right? Because it's a productive asset. So as long as you have the right liquidity depth and the right integrations with your st- with your staking derivative, it's just a better form of Ether. So why wouldn't you hold it? Like, I think it's easy to make the case that staking is a big deal and liquid staking is a really, really big deal. When we talk about like our ETH specifically- Wait, I think so us Mar- Mar- so let's,
0: let's pause for a moment. So you were just yeah. actually talking about this, the TAM, right? The TAM of right. what's at stake here. So uh, I totally agree with you. ETH staking we call it the internet bond market Uh, and you know sometimes a little bit like crazily but not that crazy like we compare the size of like the ETH staking market which where it is is like billions per year and compare that to like the you know sovereign bond markets of, of global nation states and that's kind of where we think this ether staking industry is going uh, yep. and, then, and then also you, you said 14 to or 12% of total ETH is staked presently. And I definitely also think that's going to go up somewhere around to where like the core devs kind of think minimum 20, maybe equilibrium around 30, give or take. Uh, and so not only are we just bullish as an uh, industry on ethereum proof of stake and you know that's going up and to the right uh, but we also think inside of ethereum internally the proportion of ether that's going to be staked will also be going and maybe 2xing or 3xing uh, any other color or like numbers that you want to slap onto like the Tam of this whole thing
1: yeah I think that point is really clear I mean I think the pie is getting bigger and it's easy to project where it's going and I think separately I would argue that the the market share the slice of the pie that rocket pool is is likely to capture is also probably gonna go up and I can get into the reasons as to why I think that's probably gonna be the case. But I think there's a really compelling story for, our ETH is a, is a token that has kind of an interesting history. It was sort of born into the, into the bear market and there hasn't been a lot of sort of like push to grow it until now. And a lot of things are coming together in a really spectacular way in September. I'm sure we'll get into this, but like there's a lot of I think really great tailwind effects and great narratives that are kind of like all coalescing around the same time. And the mm-hmm. teaser is like it's incentives, it's integrations, it's the merge, it's APR going up, it's risk going down, like all these things are coming together and they all sort of multiply and stack on top of each other in a really really powerful way. I think September is going to be like the most insanely bullish month for Ethereum fundamentals, at least. I don't know about the price, but like fundamentals could not be any stronger for staking right now. It's just, it's absurd.
0: Okay. So let's go into RE specifically. Why will RE in the landscape of other staking uh, tokens, which Coinbase also entered the fray with their, their CB ETH. uh, Why, why would I hold RE over any other staking derivative asset?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just to set context, like, We launched back in, I think it was November. Mm -hmm. And since launch, our ETH, demand for our ETH has has captured about a 5% market share in the market. And that is through a bear market that is with no marketing at all. That is with no team liquidity incentives. And that is with basically zero integrations. So like our ETH, it's awesome, but you get it and you hold it and you watch a number go up and that's kind of all you can do with it. And that's changing in a really big way. Um, To talk about the good things about it, like why it's fundamentally a good a good kind of token and then I'll get into kind of like what's the catalyst for growth here. A few reasons that make it just, I think, strictly the best product in the market. So for one, it is fully collateralized and insured. Like there's no risk of like a run on the bank or everyone getting a haircut because a mass slashing event happened. Like our ETH holders are just like 100% insured from any kind of catastrophic event that might happen. Um, Also, there's just no counterparty risk. Like sure, you put a little bit of trust in the smart contract to operate the platform, but you're really farming out your staking to a mesh network of operators. And if any one of them underperforms, they get penalized and not you as a token holder. So, again, it's like fully kind of uh, collateralized. There's no collateral, there's no custody or trust requirements. There's no possibility for censor- censorship. This is a really important thing right now. It's very topical. And then just, I mentioned it a few minutes ago, but like our ETH is just fully neutral, it is well aligned with Ethereum. And I think just given that it has no kind of trust assumptions that go along with it, it's really well positioned to be sort of a DeFi building block because it's sort of this neutral kind of Lego that can go in anything. It can be a good half of an LP position. It can be something you take a leverage position on. Mm -hmm. It has these great qualities that make it very, very neutral that I think will make it just kind of a fan favorite for DeFi, I think, once we get to that point.
0: And I think um, it's worth to note that a lot of the properties that you just said are maybe, maybe individuals are like, oh, I have a hard time mustering up the motivation to care about those things. But it's also worth noting that DeFi apps will always suck up more demand than individuals. Uh, and so, Marco, maybe you could also talk about just like the integration side of our ETH and how demand can come from like the DeFi side of Ethereum and why those particular properties that you just talked about are actually more conducive for DeFi apps than just like the average individual who, you know, doesn't really look under the hood of things.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, I think there's two kind of catalysts that are coming that are really meaningful. So one is integrations. I'll talk about that real quick. Um, so it, it hasn't been until recently that I think our ETH has demonstrated enough lindy effects that it's sort of trusted in the network. So mm-hmm. we're now whatever 10 months post launch, and we're really I think there's an avalanche of integrations that are coming. So some of, I gotta be careful what I say because some of this isn't isn't quite shareable. But like Maker is going live in about two weeks, and that's obviously a major lending platform. The biggest um, Opportunity that we are missing with our ETH is not being able to take a collateral position on it. Like people want to take leverage, they want to pull out stable coins for farming, they want to go buy a house, do DeFi
0: shenanigans generally. Right. Uh
1: (laughs) And that use case hasn't existed until now. It's about to exist in a really, really big way with Maker Mm -hmm. and a few others that I probably shouldn't say too much about. Um, The other side of it that I think is equally as compelling, if not more compelling, is that there has never been a native kind of incentive program for our ETH until literally yesterday. So we launched an a incentive management committee, full disclosure, I'm on the committee, so I have some kind of say as to where the funds go, but I think that is a really, really powerful force that will help us grow liquidity depth, grow those integration partnerships, and also just frankly grow yield and grow TVL on the platform. There's a really powerful, I think, flywheel effect that's going to come from this once we get those incentives in place. I think a lot of things fall in place kind of quickly uh, coming from that. In particular, like one thing, I'll, I'll give a quick plug and then I'll stop for a second. Like one, I think really unique thing to tie it to the previous point. I think our ETH, because it is such a neutral building block that Pool has such a great opportunity to go and sort of offer co-incentives to other protocols where we can go and approach some some protocol, let's say Maker. Like let's say Maker is providing incentives on MKR ETH to keep you know, liquidity on their token. We can go to them and say, like, hey guys, what like why don't you move your your liquidity program over to maker RETH and we'll pitch in some of the incentives. So you get like co incentives, you get a higher mm-hmm. yield because you've got half of your LP is now productive suddenly. And then Rocket Pool benefits tremendously because we are growing along with that pool. It's sort of like almost free growth for us. So Mm -hmm. that is one, I think, really exciting property of liquidity incentives we're going to start pushing, I think, pretty hard. And it's a big kind of opportunity for us. So like call to action to your viewers, like if you're part of a DAO and you want sort of like free boosted yield on your liquidity program, reach out to us because there's there's a lot of, I think, opportunity there for that.
0: And it does make sense that the integrations would start to snowball after Maker specifically, Maker being kind of like the basement of DeFi, the bottom tier the bottom foundation like when, once you're collateral and maker dow then you're kind of the, it opens up the doors to becoming collateral and like the remainder of of DeFi. so it does kind of make sense that that is the right the right order of operations here well, let, let's talk about strictly just the yield of our eth like how will our eth accrue more or less yield than the other staking derivative assets in the landscape
1: Yeah. I'm not sure that I would argue that it it does, to be honest. I mean, Mm. all the tokens are going to take, they're all going to get the beacon yields minus whatever commission they charge. And, and, you know, they're all kind of about the same 10 or 15%. It's all kind of like just a rounding error, to be honest. I think where, what I would argue is more meaningful is what is the return per unit of risk that you're taking on Mm. for the underlying, right? So like, I would, I would argue that holding ETH basically has zero risk because it's, it's fully insured and it, there's no counterparty risk, there's no trust assumptions. So like the denominator is like zero. There's like no uh, risk discount that I would apply to it. And I don't wanna pick on any particular protocol, but like if you look at other tokens, they do come with trade-offs, right? And so you can, you can think of like, what is the percent likelihood that project X will go underwater and go to zero? And it's it's not zero percent right so you have to apply sort of a discount um given that so i think you know i would argue that it isn't just the raw apr that matters it's more like the risk adjusted return for for that token that really kind of shines
0: you you said it a couple times so let's go ahead and, and dive into it is the risk really zero that some sort of black swan event will happen with rocket pool and like accidentally like lock up all of the ether, for example, like is the, you said it's fully insured. It's not like FDIC insured. So it's not, it's not that kind of insurance. <laughs> You're talking about over collateralization, right? So like, can you like unpack that a little bit for us? Like what really is the protocol risk and why, why do you seem so confident in this in saying yeah. that the risk of our ether is lowest?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good question. And I'll, I'll probably pass it over to Ken here in a second. Cause Ken has okay. done some really great research on, kind of risk modeling. But what I mean specifically is, certainly we're not FDIC insured, but there is more than 100% of the collateral backing the issued token. So Mm -hmm. if we can sort of fully redeem down to zero and and still kind of make everyone whole, if if we had a massive kind of run on the bank type of event, and there's there's no point where your cut like the custody is all managed by smart contracts, so there's no point that like a bad operator could just run away with the funds. There's no like we're kind of in a can't be evil um, mm-hmm. kind of situation. And when we say that it's fully insured, what really what we mean is like, given the reasonably worst case scenario, which is like a mass slashing event takes off half, takes out half the network and all the validators basically go to zero. Like, do the RETH ETH holders incur any damage from that? And the answer is like, not, not really, because the the penalties come out of the, the node operator side primarily first, but that's probably getting into more of Ken's territory. I'll maybe let him kind of jump in on that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, to that point, I would probably add that, you know, Ethereum as a whole is a very forgiving protocol right i mean i think it was envisioned by the core devs that you would not need to be a professional node operator you do not need to have a you know a large data center or high speed connection to do it they really envisioned that home home stakers individuals like myself could run a run a node on their bookshelf behind them um, and simply, you know, secure and protect the network. And because of that, the, the penalties for actually attacking the network are, right now are, are fairly forgiving, right? As, as long as, um, you know, there isn't a non, non-finality <laughs> event that occurs, as long as a large portion of the network, uh, you know, close to 51% attack, doesn't happen that if for some reason something is misconfigured on a node and a, and a uh, slashing event happens, um, the node operator does not actually receive that large of a of a penalty. Uh, probably, you know, one ETH or two ETH. Uh, even even post uh, the merge here with um, uh, with Bellatrex out there and the higher higher penalty fees. Um, so at that at that case, the node operator has already put enough collateral on that they they incur that loss to the to the protocol. The RE holder um, has been fully insured, and they they receive their their contribution back uh, because it's been um, somewhat uh, dispersed throughout the entire mesh network of nodes. Um, the individual RE holder probably won't even see. Uh, any any loss in APR, it's just uh, so minor that it gets it gets uh, kind of lost in the average variance of the randomness of each uh, each validator and how it performs you know there, there, there certainly are per, perhaps maybe these uh catastrophic armageddon events right the entire network goes down there's multiple bugs and multiple clients the core devs cannot get uh you know consensus achieved in a couple of weeks and the protocol comes down but it but at that case i'd argue it's not a rocket pool problem right. it's, a, it's an a all of Ethereum problem, problem. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> and we've got much bigger problems right. than uh than than rocket pool right yeah we don't like to think about that um <laughs> okay so that's is that the
0: conclusion on like the bull case for our ETH that we're like uh is pretty damn like robust and anti-fragile and also it's all already decently well penetrated into the market share at five percent is what uh, marceau said and that was before any sort of like uh like illiquidity incentives around around that uh is that Bo on the bull case for our eth or is there anything else missing
2: I would, I would just add one thing that wasn't mentioned, which is that our ETH uh, is not a rebasing token. <laughs> mm. And this, this provides an advantage in, in two ways. For some folks, uh, because of their, their tax authority, uh, it may be much more advantageous to, to hold and possess our ETH and other, other liquid staking derivatives. Um, and secondly, that the fact that it's not rebasing allows it to be much more integratable with other DeFi uh, things, not only on the mainnet, but also on other layer twos. Um, so it's one advantage that it has that not all of its competitors have.
0: Well, let's dive into that a little bit more for the listeners that don't know what rebasing is or are just unfamiliar with the nuances behind this and also taxes uh, in relevant jurisdictions. Can you just start from a, a little bit uh, higher level on like why a non-rebasing staked derivative token is good and overall just what rebasing is?
2: Yeah, maybe maybe I'll I'll let Marceau talk about that.
1: <laughs> um, sure thing, so I mean, people are probably most familiar with Lido's STETH and that's what's called a rebasing token. And so what happens when you hold that token is that it is pegged one-to-one with the price of ether and all, all gains that are that are received from staking are then kind of issued as new tokens. So you get, I think it's a tw- like every 24 hours, you get a drip of like a small incremental mm-hmm. gain on, on your total units. So your, your number of units goes up over time. And that's mm-hmm. sort of nice because it keeps peg with ether one-to-one, so it's very kind of intuitive. But it also means you're getting a an income event in the U.S. taxable at least, event, yeah. Every yeah taxable event every 24 hours, and it's kind of a kind of a headache to integrate. And it's also like Ken mentioned, really difficult to do rebasing across uh, different chains. So like to do rebasing to L2 is kind of technically mm. complicated. And for both kind of tax and just kind of technology reasons, it's actually a lot better to do what is called non-rebasing, which is where you don't get more units of the token, but the the value of the token goes up relative to ETH. So if you look at the ratio of our ETH divided by ETH, it is like slightly trending up, right? Mm -hmm. And and the, the rate of return up is just the rate of return of of the beacon chain. So you know, there's pros and cons, you can argue one way or the other, but we like it because we think it's more kind of composable, more integratable, and also just simpler from a tax perspective. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's a good model. And it's also what Coinbase just came out with too. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's kind of a nice vote of confidence that this is the kind of superior model when it comes to how to issue out rewards from the beacon chain.
0: So just to regurgitate this and make sure I understand. So Teeth from Lido is a rebasing token and that has nice just like it's intuitive in that like one staked ether equals one ether all of the time. Uh, And so it's just one to one, that's just what it equals. And so if you deposit one ether, you get one staked ether, if you wait a year, that one staked ether will be still worth one ether but then that begs the question all right well then where does my yield come from and so if you're holding staked ether you're getting dripped more staked ether from the lido protocol as as the form of that's where your yield comes from but when it, a transaction on ethereum occurs and it's into your wallet with tokens, that's a taxable event. Uh, And so since your yield is being paid to you, that's just like regular income tax. Uh, Rather than having this uh, alternative, which is that with Rocket Pool, I think it started off as one REth equals one ETH, and then REth has grown from there. Uh, and so, like, I don't know where it is now, but, like, maybe it's, like, 1.5 REth equals 1 ETH, uh, and then tomorrow it'll be 1.6, and the day after it'll be 1.7. Not actually, these are fake numbers. Not, not uh, quite that high. Not, yeah. not quite that, that high. That would be hyperinflation. <laughs> um, but that the idea here is that there will be – intu- it's no longer intuitive, so that's the trade-off that we've made. But, I mean – the intuition, the intuition costs versus not having to pay taxes, like yes, I'll pay those intuition costs because I get more money that way. And I guess that's actually a little bit more bullish on the fundamentals of the uh, protocol because I mean, protocols and nation states generally don't talk, but they talk through their users that live in those nation states. And so if the users are fundamentally having to sell their RETH to pay for their taxes, then that would be bad. And so this mechanism means that this does not have to happen, and not only at the individual level, but basically at the protocol level, because if all users are selling small like income taxes of, of worth of RETH, then that actually does show up in the TVL of the protocol.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, not tax advice, but that matches my yes, understanding. Yes, certainly the one not. Thing that I, would... I think long-term Bankless <laughs>
0: listeners should know that they should not be getting tax advice from me.
1: <laughs> the one thing I'd point out too is, like, if you look at that as a against the against the commission, you could argue that a non-rebasing token. Has a higher yield because it has yeah. less of a tax drag. So the real yes. return for a non-rebasing token is actually higher than mm. some of the competitors who do rebase because they have a higher tax uh, treatment towards them. Depends on your jurisdiction, obviously, right. but I think that's kind of a nice way to look at it because you are there is a hidden fee there in the form of taxes, of course.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. I do, I do take that argument. I accept that argument. <laughs> uh, Ken, any any comments on
2: this or what's going on in your in your brain? No, I think I think you've covered the RE side very well.
0: Okay, all right. Well, that's just one side of the marketplace. That's the RETH side. I also want to get into the other side of the equation uh, the bull side, the bull case for being a node operator with Rocketpool. And then also, we'll have to, because of where that conversation leads, get into the RPL token. Of course, uh, we're going to get into these conversations and more in the bull case for the actual RPL token here, right after we get to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Juno is bringing crypto-friendly banking straight into your checking account. With Juno, you can send money from your Juno checking account straight onto a Layer 2, like Polygon, Optimism, Arbitrum, and they have ZK Sync and StarkNet support on their way. You can skip the ACH wait times, you can skip all the gas fees, and go straight from your checking account to an Ethereum Layer 2 in seconds. Inside Juno, you can buy and sell crypto with $0 fees, and your Juno checking account comes with a metal MasterCard that gives you up to 5% cash back on your spending. Juno is also giving you $10 cash back on your your first crypto deposit and a hundred dollars when you set up a direct deposit this ad just writes itself so go sign up at juno.finance slash bankless ZK Sync is an Ethereum layer two network that is pushing the frontier of high performance blockchains that don't compromise on security or decentralization. ZK Sync has combined the power of zero knowledge rollups in the Ethereum virtual machine, enabling developers to build the greatest web three projects possible, ones we haven't even seen yet. Crypto needs its killer applications to onboard the world, but crypto killer apps need ZK Sync as a platform to build on first. It's generally accepted that zero knowledge rollups are the conclusion of crypto blockchain scaling technology. And ZK Sync is leading the charge into the final frontier of crypto economics. So, if you're a developer who wants to build your app on a future proof foundation, which gives your users the best UX possible, check out ZK Sync's website at zksync.io. And yes, there's also going to be a token, so give them a follow on Twitter too at zksync. The Brave Browser is the user-first browser for the Web3 internet, with over 60 million monthly active users. And inside the Brave Browser, you'll find the Brave Wallet, the secure multi-chain crypto wallet built right into the browser. Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy, but there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. And most crypto wallets are browser extensions, which can easily be spoofed. But the Brave Wallet is different. No extensions are required, which gives Brave Browser an extra level of security versus other wallets. Brave Wallet is your secure passport for the possibilities of Web3 and supports multiple chains, including Ethereum and Solana. You can even buy crypto directly inside the wallet with RAMP. And of course, you can store, send and swap your crypto assets, manage your NFTs and connect to other wallets and DeFi apps. So whether you're new to crypto or you're a seasoned pro, it's time to ditch those risky extensions and it's time to switch to the Brave wallet. Download Brave at brave.com slash bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. And we are back with our bull case for Rocket Pool, uh, and we're going to touch on the other side of the marketplace, the node running uh, side of this marketplace. And uh, this is the unique side for Rocket Pool because you can't run a node on a staking as a service protocol other than Rocket Pool. That's like the unique thing that Rocket Pool brings to the table, the whole protocol permissionless side of things. Uh, so why would I run a node with Rocket Pool though? Like convince me. I should. Why? Why should I go right after this stream is over? Go spin up a Rocket Pool node.
2: Yeah, the, the short answer from that is you're going to earn more running a rocket pool validator than you will running a solo validator, just pure and simple. So there's an incredible financial incentive for anybody who wants to do that. Um, there's some other auxiliary um, uh, uh, arguments towards it, too, and that you're actually doing a public good, right? There are individuals we've just learned about that want to have RE that don't have the either the capital requirement or the technical ability to run a node, but still want to possess a a, a staked ETH derivative in their wallet, and so by running a node, you actually help provide lift to the protocol. You stake uh, ETH on behalf of the R ethers, and at the same time, you as a node operator earn a, earn a commission. And so it's it's probably worth maybe just mentioning, I think, to the to the folks here that. Like one of the things I always hear in the Ethereum community is that everyone should be running a node, right? And they kind of stop at that. They say, for the health of the network, everybody run a node, and this is this is costless. It requires no ETH. You can you can run a node at home, um, but the the big barriers people don't know how to do it, right? They you know everybody says you should run a node and help decentralize the network. One of the things I'd encourage anybody to do, listening to this podcast right now, is just simply if you have an old computer, ten years old. 12 years old, uh, could be a laptop, could be a little desktop or server, right? Whatever, it doesn't take much, literally a Raspberry Pi you can you can stake with. Simply go over to Pool, download its software. It's got a great installer, a great interface. Uh, they've got a dev there by the name of Joe, who has just made this thing so easy. It's literally just a couple of clicks and commands. You download the software, you get to pick whatever Ethereum clients you want, your consensus layer, your execution layer you let it sync and you'll be up running a node on the network right hmm. uh, now for that you're not you're not going to make anything but you're going to help protect the network and relay relay the uh, the blockchain right
0: you'll be a basic um, patriot of the
2: ethereum blockchain yeah. at, at, absolutely and i cannot think of a more easier way to actually run a node than to just simply download the rocket pool installer and go ahead and do that that's that's now, interesting
0: it, you're saying it's easier than like if I wanted to r- run a node, I'd l- probably go to ethereum.org and like start there and they would point me off in a dur- different direction. It's going to be different for every single client. But you're telling me like it's actually easiest. Rocket pool has made it easier than ethereum.org to go run an ethereum node. Is that what you're saying? By
2: by, by far, I know there's efforts from the E-Staker community, such as Wagyu, to kind of make it a simple one click installer. And I know that they've been working great on that. Uh, but I got to say, maybe I'm a little biased, but I think the Rocket Pool stack is just the easiest thing because the, it's incentivized for Rocket Pool to continue to upgrade that. So there are constant mm-hmm. releases, right? And you can imagine as we're approaching the merge, there's a number of technical releases that are being provided, and Rocket Pool is just keeping up on that, right? So you can simply use the rocket pool software you're running all the major clients right and you can you can run your own node now what people are probably more interested in though is to actually become a validator and this is where the staking aspect comes so not instead of just being a relay on the network and protecting it and transmitting and verifying that um uh, you know, that the transactions are meeting the protocol requirements. Now you want to actually be a validator. You actually want to attest on the network and say, yes, that last block met all the Ethereum requirements and, and it is correct. That's the correct head. Those transactions are all processed correctly. I'm going to vote yes for it or I'm going to vote no for it. Um, and to do that, you have to be a validator. And Rocket Pool, they, they call them mini pools, but it's the same thing. It's a validator. And for that, you have to put some collateral down. If you are just a solo, uh, a solo validator, you have to come up with 32 ETH of collateral. And that, that is a large financial barrier for most people. Uh, but Rocket Pool right now actually decreases that down to, to 16 ETH and some collateral that we'll talk about on the RPL token, 1.6 ETH of the RPL token. Um, but there's actually plans coming up here for something called a low ETH bonded mini pool. After uh, kind of analysis and a, and a lot of thorough research, We've actually discovered that that 16 ETH is much more collateral than what you actually need to protect against the, the, the foreseeable or the likely uh, attacks that could happen on, on a validator, right? And so there's plans in the work to do something called a low ETH bonded mini pool that would reduce that initially down to 8 ETH. So you only need 8 ETH plus about 2.4 ETH worth of the RPL token. Uh, but there might even be plans later on if we get some improvements to the core protocol, something called forced, forced exiting. Um, that could reduce that down to four ETH, and, it, and at that level, um, you know, it becomes much more affordable for everyday individuals to be able to put enough capital on to move their node to a validator and actually start earning ETH rewards. I think one of the
0: uh, common criticisms of Rocket Pool that I've heard is that it's capital intensive of a model, and so to produce, uh, you, you just lock up a lot of a lot of ether in order to produce. Uh, enough uh, supply of other, of more space, right? Where, you know, Lido, all the Lido operators, they don't have to stake up any ETH because it's a trusted system, uh, Rocket Pool, because it's trustless, also comes with this burden of over collateralization, and that's limited the scale of how much our ETH can come to market, because uh, all uh, every single node operator also needs to come with a bond. But if we if we go and in, uh, go into the future and s- take it on the assumption that this this bond goes from 16 ETH per node down to 4 ETH per node, and Ken, I'm going to ask you like how how the calculus actually comes out that that's like justifiable and not overly risky but like say for example if we think that 30 uh, million ether will come to market. Well, then Rocket Pool. If Rocket Pool is, if you're so bullish on Rocket Pool that you think that Rocket Pool will dwarf a hundred percent of the market of staking as a service uh, uh, providers because it's a protocol, well, then you would actually only need so you know 30 million divided by four, 7.5 million. You would need 7.5 million worth of ETH to just be node operators. Uh, and so, like all of a sudden, like it, instead of having 15 million ether become needing to be I'm doing that math wrong. Anyways, the idea is that like it requires much fewer node operators uh, to be to Rocket Pool to eat up a larger market share of total ETH stake derivative tokens. Uh, and so that is a, a has been historically one of the big critiques about Rocket Pool is like it's too capital intensive to really scale. Uh, but if you're telling me that we can go from 16 ETH bond down to four ETH bond and and you you can really Kind of a grow, I, I th- really think that takes the complete ceiling out of the potential of Rocket Pool's constraint on our ETH growth. Uh, that is, if we get there. Um, so, Ken, I'll let you respond to anything that came up to your mind there, but also if you could explain why the risk is such that we are actually able to do this in Rocket Pool.
2: Yeah, so uh, uh, excellent uh, questions in there, right? Let's, let's just take the first case first, right? Which is let's take the, the current model, which is right now, Rocket Pool requires 16 ETH of the node operator, and that's paired with 16 ETH from the pool of our ETH depositors, right? And so, in that case, um, what what do you earn as the node operator? Right, you're earning sixteen. You're earning interest on your sixteen ETH, and you earn what's called the node operator commission on the other sixteen ETH from the R ethers, right? And that node commission, let's just keep it easy. Let's call it fifteen percent right now, okay. Um, So already right now, being a rocket pool node operator, you are not only your interest and your yield, right? Both from the beacon chain, both from MEV if you decide to extract it and both from tips and inclusions after the merge comes up here. Right, but you also earn the node commission. Right, fifteen percent on the R ethers. Now, what happens when when they introduce here, perhaps as early as the end of this year, their low ETH bonded mini pool? Let's just take the first step. Let's go from instead of the node operator having to deposit sixteen ETH, right, they now have to deposit only eight, right. Well, they're earning the node commission not on 16, it's not a one for one, it's now on 24 ETH. And so that does two things, it increases your leverage, right? (laughs) Your leverage has gone up from 16 to 24, you get 1.x leverage on there. But for the the protocol, what it sees is actually a 3x increase in terms of the lift capacity, the ability to stake our ETH, right? If for instance, we grew no more node operators, but we introduced the um, 8 ETH LED, we would be able to stake already three times amount of ETH on the RE side as we are doing right now. So it grows, grows grows the grows the protocol quite exponentially and it you know goes even higher when you go down to four ETH, right? right. Just um, just to so pause that,
0: really just to clarify that we again we're talking about this two sided marketplace. And what you're saying is that with this uh, technological advancement, one side of the marketplace can actually stay in the same spot and that allows the other half of that marketplace to grow. First, like if it goes from 30 uh, 16 ETH down to eight it takes off the the weight of the other side of the marketplace by fifty percent, and if it goes from eight to four, then like it can allow the other side of the marketplace to grow by another fifty percent. So it takes off one constraint from the supply side and says like, oh, it turns out with just like a snap of the fingers, technological innovation, we like tech, uh, we can actually grow the supply side of rocket pool node validators by like for, first we double it and then we can, if we can do it again then we'll double it again and that's without inducing any more of demand there's no marketing behind that that's just like straight tech
2: yeah exactly and it's and it's kind of interesting i know this may be a little too technical and so forth but it's it's fascinating to watch how the numbers actually work in there one of the things that rocket bull could do is they could actually lower that node commission uh, to you know, lower levels than what it's historically been, yet still generate because they're paying that node commission now not on 16 ETH, they're paying it on 24 ETH. Mm. You can actually deliver more ETH returns to a node operator and at the same time, reduce the node commission that nice. our ethers are paying to have their staked ETH. So it's kind of a win-win.
0: I think that's the, actually the really, really important point. And so as a ETH staker, I get really excited if I can, and so I say I have 32 ETH and I'm super excited to get my like 4.1 percent yield on my staked ETH because I'm going to run a node. But then I discover Rocket Pool and I realize I can actually cut up my 32 ETH into two chunks of 16 ETH, and then I can not only am I going to get that 4 percent of the Ethereum yield, but I'm also going to charge the other 16 ETH that comes into each one of my nodes. So now I now there's two sets of those. I get to charge that 16 ETH. Uh, 15% of their rewards. Uh, and so my 32 Ether is getting 4%, but I'm also charging another 32 Ether 15% of their total staking rewards. And so that boosts the yield. But then we do this again when we cut it down from 16. So that, that, that what I just said was the current standard of Rocket Pool, that's where we are today. Yeah. But you're saying, like, you can cut this down again. And so I have 32 ETH, or, and I can run one node on Ethereum and stake for 4% yield. Or I could cut that 32 ETH up into four units of eight. And then the other side, and so I only have uh, four units of eight. And so I actually multiply the charge, the commission that I can get by four. So it's four times 15% times 30, 32 ETH. Uh, no, even more than that. Even more,
2: Uh, you go 24, 24, 24, and 24, 96, right? right. Yes,
0: yes. So 15 times 96 times the ETH stake rate. Uh, Again, bankless listeners will know I'm bad at math. <laughs> um, but like, so that's why, that's why you use the leverage word, the, where exactly. you can get leverage on your yield. But what you're saying there is like, well, actually, we don't actually have to pay that all to node operators. They can take, they still take leverage and still definitely juice up their yields a little bit less. So we'll just take that down a notch and then we'll also lower the fee of whole, of our ETH. Token holders, And so the fee comes down and it makes our ETH more attractive. And, uh, you know, you could even I don't know how low that fee can go, but that's probably one of the levers that Rocket Pool has to make our ETH really attractive as a buy and hold uh, staked derivative asset. If it's the lowest one that has the lowest fee, like the CB from Coinbase, that's 25 percent. That's nuts. Uh, yeah. And so like if Rocket Pool high. can be like the lowest fee charging staking derivative token because of this innovation, that is that was a straight up argument as to why you would want to hold our
2: ETH. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we think we can target 14% node commission when we introduce the eight ETH, uh, uh LEB mini pool and, uh, still generate for the node operator returns that are, uh, that are in uh, double, double digits.
0: Is this where we should start the conversation to turn to RPL or is there other parts about like the node operators that we should touch on first?
2: No, I think, I think it's probably a good, a good, a good talk about RPL, right? I mean, cause this is a thing that, you know, causes people to scratch their heads a little bit Heck. and say, I don't get how this falls in the tokenomics of, of right. Rocket Pool." Okay. Uh, so just have,
1: yeah. real quick, one thing, if I can, like on the node operator side, there's a series of te- technological improvements that are coming and the low wreath bonded mini pools is a really important one, but just to kind of complete it out here real quick. Um, we just launched the smoothing pool for revenue smoothing. That's an important kind of Value for node operators. We also have this kind of creative SaaS design, staking as a service design that's being built on top of Rocket Pool, so that enables companies to come and bring their their clients to the platform. That's a meaningful kind of growth uh, strategy for us. And then also, I mean, I'll just quickly gloss over this, but there's this really kind of neat idea about a solo staker migration, where we can, where Rocket Pool can just sort of like ingest validators by pointing them at the smart contracts. And then, just a very natural way to kind of grow the protocol where they don't actually have to exit. They just have to like sort of update their their solo validators to point to Rocket Pool. And that's just an immediate kind of benefit to them because they get commission and all that kind of good stuff on top. So, LEDs, low wreath bonded mini pools, is super cool. It's like a 7x in terms of supply, but that's like one of like four juicy things that are coming. So, just Putting that out there.
0: Yeah, wait. I, well, since, since you did bring them up, I do want to go <laughs> into them. Uh, and so one, one sounds like a whitelist kind of thing, where like there's just like this like front end to Rocket Pool that targets larger institutions. Can can you just explain that a little bit more? How does that yeah, work?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's called SaaS staking as a service, and what it is is just building the smart contract layer such that other companies can run Rocket Pool as their kind of like infrastructure underneath their staking operation. Right. Mm-hmm. So you could have a company theoretically like Kraken. That stakes with Rocket Pool, but has a white labeled product on top of it, and they can call it whatever they want. It can be their own their own product, and they just run kind of Rocket Pool under the hood, and then they get all those juicy benefits like commission and and reward structures um, and things like that. And one other thing that's really cool about it is that uh, just because of the way that it operates, it, like being a node operator is sort of three jobs in one. You're like you have to run a node, which is you know some Linux expertise. You have to put up collateral and on the each side and the RPL side, and with the SaaS model that actually separates the functions cleanly into three separate people. So you can have a person running nodes for somebody else. You can have someone taking the Ether side. You can have someone taking the RPL side. It's really attractive for like large depositors who just want to go like 100% pure Ether, for example. So it's it's a really compelling case for more kind of institutional buy-in. Whereas in the past, Rocket Pool has really catered well to kind of the retail side of the market.
0: Why, if I'm Kraken, if I'm Jesse, why would I uh, <laughs> want, why would I give up my control over staking of ether and just doing it with like my own cl- like cloud service or whatever. And why would I give that over to rocket pool? Like why, what's the incentive there?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's nothing to give up. There's there's trust in smart contracts to operate the way that they're intended. And there's mm-hmm. been a lot of kind of diligence by the team to make sure that that works, but you are, you are in no way in the process, trusting rocket pool, rocket pool can turn around tomorrow and be evil and try to steal your money and they just can't do it. And that's rocket the pool is
0: charging a fee that cracking would have otherwise been able to charge themselves. Right.
1: Uh, Rocket Pool doesn't take any any commission.
0: Well, the node operator fee. The node uh, operator sure. stake. Well, yeah.
1: Well, that that'd be a benefit though. On, on if you're Jesse, you oh. see that as a benefit because you get to charge the commission on the other side of the. Oh, the Kraken also
0: house. runs nodes. Right. Oh, they don't just give you ether; they also run the nodes. Yes,
1: I mean, I mean, if you were Kraken as a as a yes. staking service. Yes. Not Kraken as a a, to- a token holder.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I see. And so that you're saying the incentive is that like Kraken could like make a deal with Bison Trails and like have some sort of proprietary deal with some commercial business or that commercial relationship could instead be Rocket Pool and Rocket Pool is like pretty competitive on that front.
1: It could happen. It could happen. that.
2: Okay. Yeah. I mean, Bankless itself <laughs> can start marketing itself as a staking company and provide its members with a, you know, a staking service and you're basically just using a white label product, you know, same as same as Kirkland does, right? They put their label on a product but it's some other manufacturer that makes the Kirkland products we like. Okay, why would Bankless do this? Why would
0: we why would we do this?
2: Couple of reasons, probably to provide service. You can create a management fee for providing the service, right? Uh, charge a charge a slice of the of the returns on it. Um, perhaps maybe you've got some excess RPL token that you've invested in that you'd like to have fully staked to earn a return on. I know we haven't talked about that RPL token, mm-hmm. uh, and perhaps maybe you want to you need more ETH to be able to provide that uh, uh, that value to actually stake the RPL token.
0: Okay. Okay.
2: All right. Yeah, I can actually see a lot of a lot of companies, right? Small management firms, individual investment folks especially for folks that don't trust the larger companies, right? They don't right. understand to do it. They go to their financial advisor. The financial advisor says, Hey, I just recently reached out to this uh, small company that's providing staking services for Ethereum. They handhold, they provide a white glove um, uh, uh, concierge service, right? Here's their phone number of the person running the node. Yet you can see that it's all been invested on a smart contract. You don't have to worry about that individual running away with the funds. Right, right, right.
0: Yeah. It's really just pushing the duty. It's like pushing, it's like, a sales layer it's like a sales like like hey you guys go do the hard work of going making sales uh okay that makes sense um let's get into the uh what you talked about marceau with ingesting single solo node operators because i think that's actually a really interesting competitive advantage that rocket (laughs) pool might have if there's like independent nodes and like the rocket pool protocols just like says hey come come
1: come join us (laughs) uh can you talk about that a little bit yeah, yeah. So, I mean, r- right now Rocket Pool has about 1.6% of the market. So it's a pretty small minority of the market, right? Room to grow, certainly, but it's a small player in the market. And when the withdrawal hard fork happens, there's a technical improvement that lets you sort of redirect towards a different um uh, fee withdrawal address. So you could, as part of that change, point it towards Rocket Pool and then basically convert your solo validator you've been running at home since since Genesis into two or maybe four. Um, mini pools just kind of automatically through the rocket pool software. And the reason to do that is is honestly really compelling because you get the smoothing pool, which kind of smooths your rewards over time. So if you're a home validator, you probably get like, you know, a proposal a year or something like that. And your revenue is very spiky. Having it be smooth is very appealing for, for one. You also get extra commission. You also get extra RPL rewards. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but like it's just sort of strictly better from a yield perspective and a variance perspective to have, Rocket pool be what's kind of managing your back end uh, of the software stack and not just doing it with your kind of native um native clients at home. So it's it's a really kind of creative way to bootstrap growth and just like ingest and like give them a big like bear hug and, and welcome them into the Rocket Pool family. I think it's a it's a really cool thing that we can do that is very, very unique to the circumstances around them around withdrawals and also Rocket Pool as a technology layer.
0: Right. And and the the reason why i wanted to take the time and talk about the the staking as a service uh, and also ingesting the solo operators well first off those are two like barbells right like one is going after the big people that are like funnels for like the rest of the world into Rocket Pool, but then also it's like the remaining single node operators are given like a very low barrier into like joining Rocket Pool. So it's like Rocket Pool as a system is like going after both ends of the spectrum, like the big boy institutions, but also like the remaining solo stakers that that exist on Ethereum. Uh, and like the idea here, like the the bulk case for Rocket Pool in my mind is synonymous with how many independent validators there are. Uh, which I think also brings us to the conversation of RPL because there's like a one-to-one relationship of how many independent staking validators there are in Rocket Pool, and the RPL token. So who wants to let's start at the very beginning? Who wants to lead us into the conversations around <laughs> why the RPL token exists and what it does?
2: Yeah, I guess I guess I could start with it. The, the one thing I may, if I if I could, that we we touched on, but we didn't cover in depth and I would be a shame mm. for not mentioning it is the smoothing pool mm. uh and and I think this is one thing that I don't think people have figured out it was just just launched this week as part of the Redstone upgrade to Rocket Pool and and what it does uh real briefly is that you know post merge here right we think that um the returns that a validator gets are going to be made up about 50% from the beacon rewards uh, we think about 40%. Now, this is on average. About 40% of it is going to be the inclusion tips, and that doesn't change with gas prices. Everybody's still paying about one to two Gwei to move their transaction through MetaMask or whatever their wallet or their choice is. And then, you know, most most models show that about 10% of the returns are going to be in this MEV, right? Uh, something I call proposer payment values. The amount of of uh, of MEV that's actually paid to the block proposer, right? Now, what's misleading about that is that's an average, right? MEV is actually a, a very rare thing, right? These large arbitrage opportunities that occur where somebody could make 10 ETH, 50 ETH, 100 ETH, 200 ETH from uh, you know placing a flashbots transaction in there are actually pretty rare. And so, what happens is, sure, on average you get that, but for most validators, they're not going to see any MEV, or if they do, it's just going to be a very small amount. You know, much less than even a fraction of what the inclusion tips are at one Gwei or two Gwei, right? Um, so what the smoothing pool does is it's, it's it's kind of a play off the old mining community that says all of the validators that are in Rocket Pool can opt in. It's an opt in choice, but already I think we've got about thirty percent of our node operators that have opted into it already. Um, and uh, almost almost as many of our, our mini pools that have opted in um, but what it does is it smooth them. So it basically says that okay what we'll do is we'll share those rewards in a in a 28 day reward period we'll collect all of that mev all of that PPB, ppv proposer payment value that's made to the proposers and we'll distribute it equally based upon the contributions of everybody in the pool and so what that does is it is it reduces the variance right if you are a solo operator and you're thinking hey i might i might win this lottery, right, at this large MEV, it's going to be a lottery. And that lottery isn't one that you can play forever. There's a lot of push. Push and a lot of thought among the core developers in the Ethereum community about is MEV good? Is proposer builder separation needed? Do we have to worry about OFAC sanctions and so forth? And, and, and they keep looking at perhaps removing the ability to order the transactions by the proposer. So there's only in my opinion, a, a narrow window that we can actually chase this game. And so if you join the smoothing pool, you're much more assured. You've got a much more probable outcome of getting some share of that MEV versus if you don't join a smoothing pool, that um, you know, you're just you're playing the odds. And the odds are, unfortunately, that most people will not win <laughs> any substantial MEV. And this is one thing I think that really attracts Rocket Pool. In fact, the smoothing pool is so, I think, unique among it that we'll start to see other other protocols that allow node operators will also be contributing and creating smoothing pools of their own.
0: So the question I have, the critique I have that I'm hoping you can cover is is doesn't this just take money from the people that are very good at extracting MEV and giving it to the people that aren't as good at extracting MEV?
2: Yeah, you know, so the, the people that are good at extracting MEV, those are gonna be the searchers and the builders, right? Uh-huh. The searchers are gonna look for the unique arbitrage, run the very fast computers, find find the best way to do it. But eventually they'll know who the next proposer is, right? Let's say for instance, it's Marceau's node, right? And they have to decide if I'm the searcher and I found a, let's say a hundred ETH block, I got to decide how much I'm willing to bid in one of these relays like Flashbots or mm-hmm. uh, other relays that are coming up. And perhaps maybe I decide to pay him 70% of it. So So I put a 70 ETH ETH bounty on that. And if I win that auction uh, through the relay, uh, Marceau will propose that block. Uh, I'll take 30 uh, ETH and I'll give them 70 ETH. So really, it's just the proposer that lines up. And so the way as a node operator you you get your share is you want to have as many block proposers as needed. So the only way to do that is either be very rich and run a lot of nodes yourself or join a smoothing pool. Because if I'm in the smoothing pool and Marceau's in the smoothing pool and he gets that 70 ETH, we'll share it among some fair sharing Method And usually that sharing method that we're looking at is the number of added stations. So if we both had two nodes operating for 28 days, they both did equal work, we'll share that reward 50-50.
0: I'm getting the gist of like, there's this this pattern that I always find in crypto that like, it's like a Peloton, a bicycle Peloton, where like the more people that are in the Peloton, the more efficient it is. Is that also the same way that the smoothing pool works? Is that like, actually when the smoothing pool has more buy-in by more and more node operators, it actually becomes a more competitive product?
2: It it gets much more certain on your returns, right? The variance. Like, so like right now, like if I'm by myself, maybe I'll win that hundred ETH block. I probably will never win it, even over five years. And in five years, they've removed MEV. They've The the protocol has changed. We've got p- proposer-builder separation. There's now a fixed ordering. I can't change anything. I can't extract that anymore. But if I join a pool and there's a lot of people in it, we'll have that many more proposal opportunities. And perhaps one of those is one of these lottery blocks. And if we win, then we all share the proceeds. Will I ever see 100 ETH in one? No, probably not, but I'll receive one one hundredth or one one thousandth of that return and i'll do that month after month after month so in that five or three year period whenever they they invoke dbs um i'll actually have some returns in my wallet to 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 benefit from it cool 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 all
0: right now so that's that's another incentive to spin up a rocket pool node and join the rocket pool system like it's another like perk uh you the sea of perks of being a rocket pool node operator and th- again like i said like we were about to go into before we went down the uh, smoothing pool rabbit hole uh every single node comes with an rpr uh, rpl sidecar uh who wants to take us down the rpl rabbit hole like what what the token is and what does it do uh and overall we'll eventually end up at the bull case for that who wants to who wants to
2: lead us here maybe maybe i'll start and marceau sure. can finish right yeah, so please. so so what, what is RPR? RPL is the native token of Rocket Pool. It, it, why do we have it? Well, we first have it because it was initially the ICO offering in 2017 when the ideal first came, right? It was offered to investors. Investors could push, uh, could purchase it, right? There was no... Um, there was no uh, lockup period, right? It's so old of a token now, everybody has it. It's very well distributed uh, among the, um, the larger shareholders of it. Um, and it funded the dev team for the period of 2017 to 2021 when the protocol finally launched and staking was available on the Ethereum network. Um, what what does it do? It actually provides, I would say, three functions to it, right? Uh, the first thing they throw out is they say, "Well, it's the governance token of Rocket Pool, right?" But we've heard that everybody's got a governance token, and we're not really certain what value a governance token has on a protocol, right? So let's pass over that one pretty quickly. The the main reason that RPL exists right now is it does two things. One, it provides insurance. It provides a second tranche of insurance, right? So we mentioned that you know, as we go down to low ETH bonded mini pools, right? If we go down to eight ETH and so forth, um, there are some, um, some uh, possible outcomes of events that happen that, you know, perhaps that 8 ETH is consumed up by a node operator, especially the, the, the node operator that abandons their nodes. Maybe they pass away or something happens to them. They get hit by a bus, have amnesia, forget they have a node. And that node begins to leak ETH very slowly until it reaches some, some critical level and it's kicked off the Ethereum network. So that RPL bonding provides a second level of insurance. If there's not enough asset when that node is removed from the network to cover the investment, the principle of the RE holders, um, the RPL token is auction. So it provides this kind of second level of insurance. But more importantly, as we talked about, it actually provides access to leverage, right? So I, I think of RPL as a token that that provides the leverage, right? Um, So when you, um, you know, if you want to get this low ETH mini pool, you have to put more RPL token. There's kind of a more buy-in in in order to to get that leverage. And that's what adds value to it, right? Uh, The token itself does inflate right now at 5%. um, 70% of it is paid to node operators, right? So you earn a stake yield on it. Uh, The other 30% is given to um, the, the DAOs. It's a two-party DAO system in Rocket Pool. one called a P PDAO, one called a No DAO. different functions. Um, but the majority of the inflation is paid to node operators.
0: Okay, so uh, Mar- Marceau, do you want to say anything? Because I have a, a few like a devil's advocate uh, uh, takes on RPL I want to bring. So I want to give you a chance before I go yeah. into that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I could talk about this for a long time. The one thing that I just wanted to like, so Ken's explanation was brilliant. The one thing that I want to maybe illustrate from Plus One is to a node operator, RPL is the price they pay to unlock commission. So it, it very much has a natural kind of uh, a leverage property to it where if you put an X amount of RPL, you get Y amount of sort of leveraged yield in return. So there's a direct connection between RPL and the yield that it unlocks. <clears throat> and this is why some people feel like RPL is sort of leveraged ether because we've actually done the calculations and looked at the sort of difference between them. And if you believe that Ether has value because the yield that it generates, RPL has about three times more value because it unlocks that much more yield in the form of commission. So I'm a big believer personally in this theory that once we are post-merge, we will kind of attribute value and and, and sort of um, monetize Ethereum in terms of like a DCF model, looking at the yield that it generates. And if you follow that same logical argument to RPL, it has even greater value because it effectively acts like a leveraged form of Ether. So it's, it's really appealing to a node operator in addition to the things that Ken mentioned as a utility token, the mm-hmm. ecosystem, but just the economics of it, I think are, are very well designed for node operators to find it appealing. But go ahead with your, I know you've got yeah. some questions, some, yeah. some questions to ask.
0: Yeah, so I've always, this is question about the RPL token has always like sat in my brain so I haven't f- figured out how to answer it. Like it seems like, there, there are some tokens out there, some protocols out there that if the token wasn't there, it would fall apart. Like MKR, MakerDAO does not work with MKR. Like you need the MKR token, or else that thing breaks breaks down. Like it completes the loop. Uh, for for Rocket Pool, I haven't seen that association. So uh, when Ken was talking about the role of Rocket Pool, it's like the additional bond. But like the bond is already Ether. Like that is the bond. That's why we put up a bond in the first place. And then you're we're adding this like RPL token on top of that, and so it's kind of like there's this product, it's this RPL net protocol, it's this R- RPL network with all the pro- all the uh, incentives to join it that you that we've talked about throughout this podcast. But then there's like this gate, and it's this gate that is RPL. And in order to pass through the gate, you must own a sufficient level of RPL to get through the gate. But the gate doesn't actually need to be there. Uh, it could actually just be. Ether and Ether alone, and you could, in theory, just have a higher, higher, um, higher bond requirement in order to like match what was otherwise the RPL. But the RPL is like retrofitted onto the system uh, in a way that I think is less like organic, like MakerDAO, and more like kind of, kind of. Uh, it's like it's just like it's like given this role rather than like actually needing to be a part of the protocol. So th- that's my critique to that. Like, wh- what would you guys say to that argument?
1: Ken, you want to take it or do you
2: want me to? Why don't you take first stab at it?
1: Sure. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think that's a a, a semi-fair technique. I think you can defend the the position of RPL in the ecosystem in a few different ways. One is that it has kind of an important function of just aligning incentives between the team and their sort of ODAO that runs the Oracle, and also between node operators. It's an incentive mechanism for them. And then um, it also acts as a a secondary form of collateral for RETH at a a minimum of 10% collateral Mm -hmm. for that. Um, it's it's also the mechanism that allows us to do things like the lower ETH bounded mini pools, because it, right now it's sort of a secondary form of of, um, of collateral and it, it's sort of treated second after Ether. But once we flip to lower ETH bounded mini pools, it's actually the primary form of collateral. Mm. Or arguably, it's the primary form of collateral. So we're sort of swapping out the, the role of Ether with the role of RPL and RPL is really pos- being positioned as sort of like the collateral layer and, and Ether is just really, you know, the, the, the pure ether monetary. Yeah. yeah, the Ether layer. So it is changing a little bit. I mean, I think you could ultimately design a protocol that looks like RocketPool without a native token, or at least for collateral, you just need to have governance and things like that. Right. But it does really help to make the tech come together beautifully and and like sort of governance and incentives come together beautifully that I think it would be a worse product without a token like Rocket right. Pool in the center of all of it.
0: Right. I do like the idea of like rock, the RPL token being like this... Fractal microcosm off of Ether, where like Ether is the collateral for Ethereum, but then Rocket Pool is the collateral for Rocket Pool. And what does Rocket Pool? But it, it does, it validates Ethereum. And I also like that inverse relationship where, like, on a normal Rocket Pool mini pool with 16 Ether, you have like a relatively low RPL requirement in, in the total capital size proportion. Um, but then as you go down to like the lower bond requirement pools, it actually inverts. Uh, and so like there's an inverted relationship there between less, like as you get more leverage on your yield, you have to pay more uh, collateral to protect against that leverage. So I do I do think that makes sense. And, I, and overall, I just like the imagery of like, RPL being a little sidecar to the Ethereum <laughs> motorcycle. That's kind of how I think about it.
2: Yeah. The, the other thing I would probably add is that I think it uh, aligns incentives, right? I mean, uh, you need some way to fund a dev team, right? Mm-hmm. You, you need some way to fund the team that is marketing and integrations, right? Uh, that is the educational outreach and the support outreach for the node operators <laughs> when they have they have difficulties, right? And you either do that bec- by either becoming rent-syncing, right? You take some part of the Ethereum Commission from this from the staking operation, but that cuts into the that cuts into the profits of everyone, right? Mm. The profits of the RE folder, the node operators. So instead, what you do is you create a you know a, a tokenomics around it that says, okay, Rocket Pool will will pay its bills and keep its lights on by selling the RPL token that the dev team earns from their participation in the ODAO. And the only way that that token continues to have value is if they keep producing products and services that people want to to use. To become a node operator, you need to have RPL, you need to buy it and produce it. So it aligns the incentives for the the team to perform, for the node operators that invested in it to be committed to the protocol, and then for others to have a requirement to purchase in. And because it has value, then you can return that as a reinsurance value, right? Most operations of any significant size that that staking is becoming here not only have a primary means of insurance, but they go to the reinsurance market and make certain that they have layers of protection. And so I, th- I think it's actually very essential that protocols start to consider these these layers of protection.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a perfect way of putting it, better than how I put it. But I, I would sort of summarize that as, I think RPL is what lets Rocket Pool be non-rent seeking mm-hmm. and to act as a public good. Like in the absence of RPL, they would be forced to collect, you know, to skim off the commission and to fund a treasury and to pay for things like marketing and growth. So mm-hmm. having it there is a kind of a creative way of bypassing a lot of those behaviors that we don't want to have because we want Rocket Pool to be a public good. Cool.
0: Okay. All right. Now we have really just teased this whole Rocket Pool community, <laughs> who's just like really itching to to get into the bull case. Uh, so who wants to just give me the most bullish case for for the RPL <clears throat> token?
1: <laughs> I could take a stab at it. Um, yeah. So I've spent a lot of time thinking about RPL as a token and the ecosystem and its role as collateral and, and where we're likely to go with technology efficiencies that like the lower eth bonded mini pools. And it, it's really fun to project this forward. And one thing I really like about the RPL token is that it's very modelable. If you take certain assumptions and work backwards from there, you can derive a price and, and assign it probability likelihood of occurring and things like that. So I have my own set of assumptions about where staking participation is likely to go and where Rocket Pool is likely to kind of fit into the ecosystem. I'll share that in just a second. But if you take some reasonable assumptions, you can like kind of directly calculate a price because of its role as a utility token and collateral in the ecosystem There's a very direct connection. It is not at all driven by like speculation. It is just pure fundamentally like goodness driven. So anyways, like I I think we are heading towards a world where staking participation is really high. You, You said 30 million. I think we're probably closer to sixty million, honestly. When and this is probably like a two-year time frame, right? 60
0: million in two years? I could see sixty million in like ten years. I've never heard anyone say sixty
1: million in two years. I think it's our saturation level. I think we get there sooner than folks realize. Okay, like immediately post-merge, Ether is just purely yield generating. It's an internet bond, like you like to say. I think the value for um, staking is super clear post merge, and even more importantly, post withdrawals, because then the entire cycle is complete. So, let's say six months to withdrawals and then 18 months to kind of hit saturation is kind of how I'm thinking about it. And I'm targeting roughly, you know, it's more like 50 to 60 million in fairness, but I'm, I'm looking at about half the supply being staked. And when you look at Rocket Pool, we have currently earned about a 5% market share since we've launched. It's 1.6% in total, but since launch, it's been 5%. Given all the excitement around the technology improvements, given all the excitement around liquidity incentives, integrations that are coming, given the renewed focus on decentralization, I think getting to 8 to 10% market share is pretty justifiable. And then the last kind of variable that I look at pretty closely is to what degree are node operators collateralizing their mini pools with RPL? And the answer there is a little bit technical. It's a little bit um, speculative in nature, but for reasons I can get into, if it's it's interesting, I think the the collateral rate is likely to stay pretty high. It's currently at 80%. I think we trend down to maybe 60% over time, but still quite high. The minimum is 10%. So if you put those in a calculator and you project it forward with those numbers, you arrive at like, to be honest, what is kind of moon boy math, like not intentionally, but that's just like what it looks like because the value prop for RPL is so good. Mm -hmm. Like when I look at the likelihood of events, the probability of them occurring with those numbers, I'm personally targeting a 0.18 number on the ratio, which is about a 12X performance against Ether in its current form. So that's pretty significant gain against Ethereum, which is it's really hard to outcompete Ethereum. And, you know, it's a little bit, speculative obviously but right. i feel really good about the sort of inputs and being able to justify where i think we can go with the information we have about what's coming so in any case it's modelable and it's it's kind of fun to play around with the numbers and see what see what you get right uh
0: so just to run through some of the assumptions you're assuming 60 million ether staked which i i think is very very high i think we are going to be if we get above 30 million staked by end of 2024 i think i'll be surprised um, I, I I could see it like I could see myself getting surprised. I'll will give myself like a twenty percent chance that we break thirty million ether staked by the end of twenty twenty four. But these are just my personal shooting from the hip sure. numbers. I haven't put too much thought into this. And I think the other assumption in there is that there's also a variable in how much RPL node operators can stake. And so we haven't talked about that yet. But the minimum is ten percent. And you're saying like the average right, right now is like eighty or ninety percent. As in like people are staking thirty two ether, but they're staking like twenty eight ethers worth of RPL on average. And probably that's gonna come down, but you're not saying it's gonna come down too much. Uh, And so when you multiply, and then also you're saying that Rocket Pool is going to to eat into the market share of staking as a service token. So Rocket Pool like penetration will like 5X, uh, Rocket Pool like, uh, uh, therefore like Rocket Pool nodes will spin up so more Rocket Pool will be collateralized. Uh, And then you're also saying just like more total nodes, staking validator staking ether will also come onto the market. I definitely agree with that in like a 2X at least by the, by a year from now or so. And so like you're throwing all these numbers together uh, and then you're saying, well, this much RPL will be staked. And it was, and if that's true, then uh, there's probably gonna be something like a 12X appreciation versus ether. Is, is that like the, yeah. the accurate like summary of this?
1: Yeah, totally fair summary. And maybe what I'll do is to put a spreadsheet up on Twitter just so people can kind of put input their own numbers, mm-hmm. but it's very directly modelable. And so you mentioned 30 million ether. I think we'd probably disagree on that, but that's fine. Like that would just be a, a 2X discount on my numbers then. So if I'm projecting a 12X right. increase, if you put in the same numbers and believe my other assumptions, you'd sure. be projecting a 6X increase. Right. Versus Ether, so, the
0: the important one. yeah. Versus
1: Ether, yeah. USD doesn't matter in this equation because it's just strictly mm. um, valued in terms of collateral against the Ether pair. Right. So it's, yeah, I don't even think about dollars necessarily. But um, yeah, you mentioned the the collateralization rate. I mean, we can definitely get into that if it's, if it's valuable. On the one hand you have new entrants coming in who are likely to come in with low collateral because they are more likely eth maxis right like mm-hmm. if they were rpl maxis they would have already been in the ecosystem so new right. entrants are likely to kind of push the average down but the sort of like counterintuitive thing is that to enter the ecosystem they have to buy rpl to collateralize their node and doing that naturally pushes the price up which then naturally increases the collateralization of everyone else in the in the mm. marketplace so you have kind of this push and pull effect where the average will trend down over time. But by the act of new people coming online, it's going to necessarily increase the price, which will also increase the average collateralization. So you have to kind of like speculate as to which of those two forces has a greater pressure. And I've been looking at this really closely for the past couple of months, because we've kind of gotten to that spot where everyone new is coming in at minimum collateral. And I think there's a reason why our staking percentage, or sorry, our our collateral percentage has stayed so high. And it's because the price of the RPL token is just so justifiable in terms of like, when new people come online, it it has to go up and, and mm. RPL number go up has been very consistent for the past six months, despite being in this kind of like terrible bear market. So it's interesting dynamics, we'll see how it plays out, mm. but I'm overall more bullish on the collateral rate than I think some other people are, but still you can put in your own numbers and assume whatever you want. And, and it's still very modelable and it's still, even in a very conservative, like kind of almost like failure scenario uh, type of situation. It still, I think, holds its value really well, and it's it's kind of worth modeling every different type of possibility.
2: Ken, what are you thinking about right now? Well, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it's I mean it's hard to beat Marceau on yeah. the the inputs that you use to do it right now. What what you want to value and what you want to uh, kind of predict as what will happen to each of those five input variables in a spreadsheet. I mean, I leave I leave that up to the viewer here to do. But the one thing I will say. David, your thought about how much Ethereum is going to be staked, I think that's going to be very interesting. If you look at Ethereum versus some of the other ETH killers out there, like Avalanche, like Cardano, right? They're they're at like 50, 70% of their collateral staked, right? And Ethereum is only at 11%. So, you know, I think it's got a ways to go. I think a lot of people are waiting for this merge. Uh, I've got complete confidence in it, right? Uh, but i think a lot of people are on the sidelines and just saying let's see the merge go <laughs> and 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 then and then we'll decide to get into ethereum staking afterwards i i think two things will really drive that i think one that the you know as you've said many times the price the merge is not priced in and the reason for that is my my opinion is pricing is all supply and demand and not until the merge happens does the supply start to dwindle right mm-hmm. uh, and the, de- the the demand can just hold where it is and once that supply starts to dwindle we'll see price action and then i think uh, they'll also see the return of uh, tips and inclusion fees. And all of a sudden, no matter how you're staking, you're earning by most models about twice the amount of APR. Those things are going to combine in and I think a lot of people are really going to want to get into the staking staking aspect. And once they do that, they'll, they'll find rocket pull, they'll realize the advantage and just the way the tokenomics are, de- are designed, the RPL token will easily go up.
0: Well, guys, you didn't, didn't, <laughs> never had to actually convince me in the first place. But I appreciate you guys coming on and giving, I think, a very comprehensive of not just like the bull case for RPL, but just like an overview of the rocket pool landscape. Is there any conversation point that we haven't touched on yet? You guys want to bring up?
1: I don't think so. I think we covered oh, it.
2: I think it's fine. I, th- I, th- I think one of the things i mean uh, certainly we mentioned in the beginning that we're just community members and i will say that uh, maybe the hidden gem of, of rocket pool is really the community that it has uh, there's a channel in the discord called trading mm-hmm. don't let that name throw you it's really our community channel right uh we not only talk about rocket pool uh, explain uh explain all these different very aspects to new people uh, but more importantly we're just a whole bunch of people that are very excited about ethereum and so most of the topics in there are just about the ethereum community in whole so if uh, if you've stayed with us this long in the episode, I certainly invite you all to drop by uh, the Rocket pull Discord, especially the training channel, channel, and say hi.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. Even in the uh, rocket pool commercial, I mentioned like, oh, I'm in the rocket pool Discord, uh, so come say hi there. That, that's sometimes at, like towards the end of the day. Uh, usually after I like crack a beer, uh, I pull up, I like close down the Bankless HQ Discord, and I pull up, op- open the Rocket Pool trading Discord, and just see what all the uh, what all the people are doing in there. Um, but overall, like, also it just feels like a very I use this analogy before we started live streaming, but just like Athenian group of like hodgepodge uh, hobbyists of ETH stakers, uh, I was like, oh, I'm staking over here doing this. I'm also trading and I'm also doing this and I'm also doing that. Uh, so it's much more just um, than a Discord channel of like people that focus on like one thing. It's actually just like a, a community that people talk about all their stuff uh, including their life, their life events. So it's just a, kind of a cool community like a uh, fireplace there. So Ken, Marceau, thank you for taking a break from trading uh, and coming onto Bankless to talk about RocketPool. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. It was fun. Uh, so I know you guys, we, we have a, a document that we're looking at. There's the, uh, the uh, sign-off at the, uh, the risk and disclaimer is at the end of the document. If you guys want to scroll down, uh, either of you two want to read that?
2: It's all yours, Ken. Oh, yeah. Hang on. I, don't, uh, I wasn't following the document here, but hang on. Let me get down there right now. I'd love, <laughs> love, love to do that. Um, Ethereum is risky. Crypto is risky. DeFi is risky. You could lose what you put in, but we're headed west on the frontier. Uh, but we're glad we're. But we're we're glad you're with us on this Bankless journey.
0: Oh yeah, sorry, it, it is the shorthand that we that we have in there. I need to write it out fully. Awesome, Ken Marceau, thank you so much for joining me here on Bankless. Cheers, guys.
2: Cheers.